Okay, welcome back to the Giants Among Men podcast. I'm Scott Ishii, as always, with Brian Demena, freshly shaven, joining us uh, back from his homestead. Uh, hello, Brian. If anyone can see this, they can see my horrifying jowls and my <laughs> terrifying shaven face. You know, I haven't I haven't shaved cleanly in like five years, and that, when like Has just it been looking that at you, like long time, yeah. yeah. Like, it's just like once it's done, you're just staring at your own face, like, <laughs> oh god, I remember why I grew a beard. <laughs> <laughs> this is horrible. <laughs> it's the first time you've seen this guy then in a long time, I guess. Yeah, yeah, right. He looks terrible, and I don't like him. How did your but, kids react to it? Um, Alice was like, "I like it," and Nate was like, "You look terrible." <laughs> <laughs> I was, which I respect. He gave it to me straight. Yeah. Now, and then he couldn't. He wasn't. He couldn't be convinced either. Joanna, my wife and daughter, tried to convince him that I didn't look terrible, and he was insistent. No, he looks terrible. <laughs> <laughs> Stay in the no spin zone here. No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. No softening was happening. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, a man who could be trusted. I like it. Yeah, I don't know. So uh, it is Thursday, September something. Time has no meaning anymore in <laughs> our quarantine, but it's a, I know it's Thursday, uh, and there's a lot going on in the city today. Um, we have the Nets hired Steve Nash to be their next head basketball coach. We have uh, the Mets and Yankees playing tonight, I think, and uh, Yankees coming off another unfortunate series with the Rays. Uh, they're now in a blood feud. Uh, Mets had a big trade in the last couple of days, but today the Giants Among Men is going to focus purely on the Giants who have a scrimmage, uh, a situational scrimmage this evening that'll be aired on NBC tomorrow. Um, and uh, we just really want to kind of do a couple deep dives into the season uh, since we are now less than two weeks away. Yeah, and we want to ignore all that other stuff because we don't really care about it that much <laughs> right <laughs> yeah not at this time I really steve nash is a perfect nets hire for sure whatever yeah. you want to do right <laughs> right i know who I that is i think big trade is is strong that's true <laughs> name the player that the Mets traded for <laughs> <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh, we'll, we'll move on on those yeah okay uh, well then, let's get right into right into it. Uh, great news for Giants fans. Uh, after a couple of weeks of being a terrible coach, Joe Judge is now officially a good coach because right. he he jumped in the mud. He did. He did it. He did a fun. He showed his fun side <laughs> that he could be fun too. And he got in the sprinkler and he jumped on the ball. And what a fun time it looked like everybody was ha having and. Nobody seemed upset, and there was no screaming, and it was good, clean fun had by the New York Giants. <laughs> I don't know. What did you make of it? I mean, you know, nothing. Like, I, I made nothing of it. I think it's nothing. <laughs> the same way that I honestly think the running of the laps is nothing. Like, I just think, yeah. I think the craziest thing has been just the really kind of polarizing reactions that have come with just about anything, you know, uh, you know, he does the laps and it's like, Oh my God, these players are going to tune him out right away. And that didn't really happen. And he dove in the mud and people were like, now they respect Joe judge. And I don't really think that's the case either. Yeah. I guess I find it interesting just cause it was, it was clearly a reaction to the ne the negative, the, you know, the criticism he's getting. You know, there, it was the Giants put it out like they made a big deal. You know, all the beat writers were talking about it like it did seem to be a little bit of a performance by the team and him to sort of, you know, hey, it's not all I'm not all hard ass. We're trying to like. So I find that just kind of interesting. Like, I agree with you. It doesn't matter. I just thought it was something so funny about it. Um yeah, I don't know, because you did say to me the other day, you think it's a reaction, and I've been thinking about that ever since, and 
I don't know. How much of it is a reaction by Judge and the Giants, and how much of it is just, you know, the media... And I don't want to be, like, critical of the media guy where, oh, it's the media's fault. Fake news. You know, I don't want to do that, really. But how much of it is just, I think that, especially with the beat writers, they they just don't know anything about Judge, right? He He's not coming in here with any sort of obvious track record. Like, he's a former coordinator on either side of the, on a, a off, offensive or defensive coordinator where you can kind of pick apart some of the stats and numbers there. Or it's just a side of the ball that more people are comfortable talking about. And so they're trying to, you know, he's really such a blank slate that I think the beat writers are trying to color him in a little bit. And anytime he does anything one way or the other, it's just very exciting to them. And I think that's why you're getting these like big reactions. Like I think, I think it's less about judge and more about our own reactions to judge every time he does something. It's less... I agree, but I mean, it, I think it's right because you don't have anything to go on. All you have is this stuff. Like he doesn't have like a system he's bringing that we know what he's. We don't really know what his philosophies are. You know what I mean? We don't know what yeah. kind of team he wants to bring, or so all we really have to go on is this kind of stuff. And these are the first things he's sort of emphasizing, and these are the first clues as to what kind of coach he's going to be. So you're trying to sort of get a read on who this guy is. And yeah, I mean, I don't know that he said today, I'm going to like that day, I'm going to do this thing to show people that I, I get it. And I want my team to, you know, we're trying to have fun here too. And I'm not all, you know, um, I'm not, uh, you know, Newt Rockney or whatever. Um, but, uh, I do think the giants, you know, they made, I do think they played it up. Like they wanted to put this out there that like they're, you know, the guys are buying in and, um, they wanted to show people that the team is is responding to him and you know which look they want to give people some confidence like we don't know anything about this guy that they've put in charge of the organization and so your first uh look at him has been sort of like hmm um so I do think it was them trying to be like buying into this and this we're all like excited about what what's happening. Um, so whether he intended to do that, I don't know, but like, I do think the giants wanted that message out there. Yeah. And I could see that a whole lot more because I could see the organization itself being a lot more conscious of that. Um, did you uh, happen to catch uh, Dominique, Fo- uh, Dominique Foxworth on uh, the ringer NFL pod? I just heard the like little snippet um, that you sent me, um, which, yeah, like I mostly agreed with. I mean, I think it sounded like he was basically saying, um, I don't know, it's funny. It's funny to hear it from a player's perspective because he was sort of just like, for players, some coaches are hard asses and some aren't, and they don't really care. Like, they get used to it either way, and it's more a matter of does this guy bring value? And is he helping us win? And if he is, then we'll do whatever. Um, so they sort of are. So I feel like they've been probably all been, especially veterans have been seen it all. Each version of, you know, like the Pete Carroll rah-rah guy or, you know, your um, totally hard-ass disciplinarian. And they're just, they just kind of, you know, roll with it. Um, that was sort of what I took away from it. I mean, it was, it was kind of interesting. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, that's what I kind of took away too. And I, and I f- also found it very relatable, you know, because look, not all of us have uh, been professional athletes, certainly, but we've all had jobs. And, uh, you know, I've had bosses that were uh, maybe a little bit too particular and controlling for my tastes if they happened to be my friend, but they kind of ran an efficient ship and I appreciated that. And I've had other bosses that were a little more loosey-goosey and I thought would be friendlier type people but then the atmosphere ends up a little more chaotic and i don't really think of them as a great boss so i could see that you know like that it's it's good that that was put into some perspective that it's you know which just goes to show that again we shouldn't be overreacting to the lap running nor should we really be overreacting to the mudsliding it's just all part of the joe judge experience which overall you're not hearing a lot of bad things coming from the players which you know i think you would if they were like really unhappy yeah, no, and, and look, I mean, we're going to start to find out what the guy's about. I mean, a lot of this is just like, we have nothing to go on. 
and so everyone's just reacting to the first impressions of what this guy's going to be like um and, and you know it's just a little curious it's like it's uh it's hard to know what what to make of of um i mean look it's hard to know what to make of it until we see them start playing um and i do think it's just because you have no identity of who this guy is or what he wants to do um and you know one other thing i want to say though is the one thing that's been my skepticism of judge too is he just feels like this guy the giants were comfortable with and the giants still want this sort of identity um like the giants want to believe and and the maras I, i would say this about like that there is sort of a giant's way yeah and judge fits in with that and i would argue that that is just not a real thing and is certainly blown up now like the idea of a giant's way like they, they've been terrible for like f- five years yeah um and if you really even look at our history which is which is one of the you know we're in the top you know 15 10 percent of the league in terms of success we've had but it's very unusual it's very different than the other teams that have won the type of many super bowls as we have you know like yeah we started being good in the 80s. We had a really nice run with Parcells. And then it, he left, and it was a disaster for a few years. And then you had Reeves came in and kind of, you know, righted the ship. And then at that ended in disaster. And then Fossil came in, with, and he and Acorsi with Kerry Collins, you know, formed this kind of nice little partnership. And we had some success, and they made we made a Super Bowl in the playoffs a few times. But, you know, that run was very inconsistent, too. And some of those teams yeah. were really garbage, you know, and it's <laughs> shocky. And, you know, it, it was very up and down, you know. Yep. And then, obviously, we have Coughlin and Eli, and it was wonderful and super fun. But also, you know, Coughlin nearly got fired, like, three times. <laughs> and among all the highs and lows, there were some real lows and weird, terrible losses and collapses at the end of the year. You know, so I just feel like this idea that Giants have, like, are this model franchise. There's just a lot of peaks and valleys that they, um, you know, gloss over, I feel like. No, absolutely. And I'd never thought of it really this way, but now that you're mentioning it, right? Like, the Giants are are kind of unique in that they're, uh, like, of the teams in the NFL with four or more Super Bowls, there are most of those teams have a clustered set of victories somewhere in there, right? Like this run of dominance that they had, whether it's like the Steelers in the seventies or, you know, the Cowboys in the seventies, but then again, in the early nineties, like ours are not clustered. And I mean, I suppose they're somewhat clustered because they, you know, the four victories came with two head coaches, but those head coaches, same thing. It's like tumultuous periods in between those victories. And, um, yeah, and it, I mean, two of the Super Bowls are miracles. Let's face it, ninety right, and 07 right? Total miracles. Yeah, and eleven, we weren't even a good team, and like right. somehow we won the Super Bowl. You know, so it's like, yeah, it is. It, it's different than than it's so for a team that has won as much as we have. It's it's a very weird thing, and it's just like you know, this guy's coming in, and he's from the Pats, and you know, Belichick, and we we you know we have some connection to that, and we're gonna go back to being this sort of hard nosed, you know, this is who the giants are. It's just like, look, we really don't have any legacy that we need to, you know, we could have tried something new. Um, we, you know, we didn't have to go to this. Well, I guess. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, and and I guess getting back to judge and and it sort of help us transition to our next topic is one of the unknowns about him is, uh, is the Jason Garrett hire, which, um, you know, uh, the hire itself I found to be strange because I was actually super worried that Jason Garrett was going to end up being our head coach and I would have lost my mind. I don't know what I would have done. Yeah. I can't even describe it. <laughs> right. Um, I was pretty convinced he was going to be the next head coach. I was so relieved when he wasn't and that we hired Judge and – Honestly, my initial reaction to Judge was very exciting. Like, he is kind of unknown, and, you know, let's see what we're going to do. This is not what I expected them to do, so that's great. And then he has sort of portrayed himself as rather conventional, almost like a caricature of the kind of high school coach that people might tune out. And 
Uh, and then he also, look, his biggest hire was Jason Garrett as his offensive coordinator. Um, and I'm really just not sure what to make of that. Right. And, and also that, yeah, I mean, it, it just seems quite a coincidence that Jason Garrett, like, during the season, it was like, hey, the Giants really always liked Jason Garrett, wanted to hire him, like, 10 years ago. Yeah. And, oh, the Giants are interested in Jason Garrett. And then Judge, miraculously, when he's looking for an offensive coordinator, he he happens to like Jason Garrett. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and oh. he hires him. Right. And I'm sure that, and that was his choice. He's the man in charge, and uh, you know that's just just worked out for everybody. That yeah. the, Jason, the Giants and Jason Garrett's agent have how, a good rapport. And, how lucky you know, was I mean, all? How lucky was all that that worked out? <laughs> and so, I don't know what is. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, like to the Giants. Like, how does that work, do you think? Like, is it is it like, you know, we like Jason Garrett. I don't know what you think of him. Or, you know what I mean? Or does yeah. everybody convince themselves that, like, like, does Judge think that he hired Jason Garrett because that was the best person for the job? Is that the story he's telling himself in his head? And is that true? Like, you know what I mean? Like, what do you, how do you think, what do you think, how hard did they lean on him? Or like, what does that look like? Yeah, that's such a good question because, you know, the other thing is, is that Judge kind of came out of nowhere as a as a candidate, right? I mean, you know, right. Yeah, right now, the only former uh, special teams coordinator that's a head coach is John Harbaugh, right? You know, like we could say Belichick used to be one, too, but come on, like that's not what got him a head coaching gig. Um, yeah. So John Harbaugh is the only and look, he's a very successful template for it, but you haven't seen it much. Uh, Judge is definitely the more unknown of all the Patriots' high-ranking assistants. So it really did seem like it came out of nowhere. So it does kind of add to the speculation of, you know, maybe they only gave this unknown a shot under the condition that he was going to hire the more experienced and seasoned Garrett, who... And, you know, this kind of blends in with what you were saying earlier about the Maras having some sort of idea about what the Giants' way is. And I'm also because I'm also tired of that. Like, well, Jason Garrett was a giant. Like, I guess I don't know. Right. He's our backup quarterback like 15 years ago. I, you know, I barely remember him. Right. No, I didn't care <laughs> yeah. that he was on the team ever. Right. Right. You know, and I'm sorry. He's not a giant. He's a cowboy. All right. He played for the Cowboys and he was their head coach for almost 10 years. So. Right. Like, No. He's not a giant. He is definitely a cowboy, and we all hate the cowboys. Yeah, right. And we've been staring at his stupid face for <laughs> right <laughs> ten years, cowboys gear, and now it's like, yeah. I mean, right? Don't tell me on he's a giant. You know, you wouldn't hire Jeff Rutledge and try to tell me, oh, he's a <laughs> he's a former Giants great. Just like give me a break. <laughs> I know. So now that I think. What the suspicion? Well, what do you think? How do you think it went down? Do you think they just were like, "Listen, pal, you're you know you're welcome for the job. You better hire Jason Garrett." Do you think it was more subtle than that? What do you think? I probably just my sense of how the Giants operate. My guess is it was more subtle than that, but it was, and they're all telling you know it was like, "Yeah, you're gonna hire Jason Garrett," but like, "Oh, that's good," you know, if you want, you know, whatever, and <laughs> right, and then they're all like toasting and being like, oh, "I'm so glad this worked out. I'm glad you're happy and we're happy, and this <laughs> makes perfect sense." You know, we just like it could be Jason Garrett, it could be somebody else. Just I think an experienced offensive coordinator who knows the division um, yeah. would be probably a good, you know, whatever you, whoever you think. I don't know. It just seems impossible to believe that it wasn't pretty uh, fait accompli that that was going to be the offensive coordinator when they hired him. Yeah, yeah. It's up to Judge, though. So now, if you're Judge, how do you trust Garrett then, right? Because isn't the number one concern then that at the first sign of trouble, they get Judge out of there and they elevate Garrett, which you then get the sense is what they always wanted anyway? Yeah, I mean, it just obviously he wants his job. So that's certainly like awkward, you know. Um, yeah. I, you know, I'm sure they'll work, work fine together. But, you know, it more just makes me... Like, this is Judge. Like, again, I don't know anything about Joe Judge, his philosophies on football. And all I know is he was like, yes, get me Jason Garrett and he will run my offense. This is my first big opportunity. So, you know, to me, it's just like 
he has like no, you know what I mean? Like I, what no could, juice. Well, he obviously has no, he has no offensive philosophy that he's bringing here. And yeah. we have this, you know, young, we have a second year quarterback who we're all kind of excited about. And the head coach is bringing, you know, nothing of, of real material to that position other than, you know, motivational tricks and, um, that kind of thing. So that's just sort of concerning, you know? Yeah. Well, and it's also, I think what adds to some of the suspicion too, is you have that, you know, our new quarterbacks coach, uh, Jerry Chaplinsky, Chaplinsky, Chaplinsky. Well, you know, he's a guy coming from the Patriots. He was their quarterbacks coach as well, or he was assistant quarterbacks coach working directly under Josh McDaniels. And he goes from the Patriots, joins judge Again, it's kind of a lateral move for him because he's not getting promoted up to a coordinator spot. So, you know, you kind of wonder, well, you, that guy's not your offensive coordinator. Now he's working for Garrett, like, but he's there. Right. What is Jason Garrett doing here? Yeah, you know what right. I mean? Garrett. Why yeah. would you, like, he's just so loved the Cowboys offense the last 10 years that, that's been, right. like, totally up and down. He's just like, get me Jason Garrett. I, it just doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't get it. I Right. Like, did they even have a relationship? That's not even... Right. Yeah. Have they ever met? Like... Right. This is a guy who's going to, like, run your offense and mold your quarterback, who's, like, the key to whether you're going to have a successful tenure or not. Right. Um, you know, and so we can debate whether Jason Garrett is overrated or underrated. Like maybe there's a case. Um, I know you've been kind of digging in on it that he's not, he's, we don't necessarily like our first reaction doesn't necessarily have to be like laughter, <laughs> but it just doesn't, um, it doesn't make sense really. Yes. No, I, I agree. I think, I think there's absolutely no debating whether or not that hire makes sense. The only, the, I mean, the only lens through which the hire makes sense to me is that the Giants are hedging their bet, and they're they're uh, you know they like Judge and they like his personality and they like kind of the energy and the vibe that he gives off, but because of his unproven track record, they're nervous about him and they want to have a ready-made replacement right there waiting to go. That seems to me to be the only thing that makes the the Garrett hire make sense. But then of course that in and of itself doesn't make any sense to me because how does now Joe Judge has to operate knowing that his top assistant or his, you know, kind of most important assistant has a closer relationship with ownership than he does, a closer relationship with the GM than he does, and a guy that they were they have made clear through the press that they're totally comfortable making the head coach at some point. Like I just can't even imagine what that working dynamic is like. Right, I just don't feel like we don't have that kind of team where it's like oh, if this goes if we made a big mistake here taking this risk on a young guy, we could turn it over to Jason Garrett who's like, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. We're starting over here, so we, we a young coach makes sense. I mean, I guess I get the young coach needs a veteran who's been through the battles and knows how to do this job. Um, uh, you know, being on hand. I mean, he's got Freddie um, Kitchens. <laughs> also, what is he doing on the staff? <laughs> what I mean, what. What did every, what did you see from Cleveland last year that made <laughs> would make you say, "Get me, go get me, Freddie Kitchens." We got a young quarterback. What great work he did with Baker Mayfield last year. Um, get him on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, all right. I don't get. It. Well, here's here's something I do think that uh, uh, maybe uh, Kitchens and Garrett have in common is you know. And, and, and this is for focus more on Garrett, but and, and this will get into a little bit of the research that I've done on him. But I do think that here's what I think works. So I'll put the I'll put the, the positive spin on it now. Is what I think works is is that, you know, Garrett was really it, it seemed like most of his faults as a head coach was his basically his attention to detail. Which um and that seems to be something that is clearly Judge's strong suit. Like, everything you read about that guy, he's a lunatic about that kind of thing. Um, so maybe, you know, there's this feeling that if you take some of the head coaching responsibilities 
off of Garrett's plate, considering he that's they're really just not suited to him, it doesn't seem. And he could focus back in on the offense that maybe you will get something good out of him and that you won't have to deal with all the stuff that we've kind of gotten used to over the last seven years that have been more problematic about him. And Kitchens, too. I mean, you know, Kitchens, for whatever you want to say about him as, uh, look, it's not, it's not, wasn't that long ago that he was a hard knock superstar because, I don't know, he didn't believe a player was hurt or something like that. And everybody thought he was great. But, you know, then he was No, terrible. you're right. And, 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 I mean, he was like the, the you know, uh, girl with the curl when he first took over in Cleveland. And, you know, they yeah. everybody was like, oh, wow. And he did so well with Baker Mayfield. And, like, uh, the second half of the year, that you know, after they got rid of, uh, what's his name? Todd Hugh Haley. Jackson. Oh, it Hugh was, Jackson. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, yeah, Freddie Kitchens was like the darling of the league. Everybody was, you know, the Browns last year. Oh, my God, the Browns are going right. to take over football. And it's like, yeah. So, I mean, for sure. And I'm not saying he, he uh, Freddie Kitchens is like a moron. Um, uh, yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a, it, I mean, it's just a striking <laughs> move. It's just like, right. Huh. right. Okay. All right. This right. is an interesting staff we're putting together here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely feels, I mean, like, I mean, it's the start of a football movie, right? I mean, it's, you know, the yeah. staff, he goes around, Freddie Kitchens is in a bar somewhere and Joe Judge <laughs> and Dave Gettleman walk in. We, <laughs> we want you. You do? I see Jason Why? Garrett as more like a Roger Dorn, where right. <laughs> Kitchens right. is more like Jake Taylor, you know, maybe right. even Lou uh, with the manager. What's his name? Right. Right. Like Jason Garrett was finishing making his wife like a grilled salmon or something <laughs> and putting the finishing, you know, he was putting the finishing touches on it, you know, some uh, cilantro yeah. <laughs> at the top of the phone. <laughs> And the phone rang. <laughs> huh? Oh, yes. It's the Giants, Sonny. Oh, how surprising. How <laughs> surprising. <laughs> so, I don't know. So what do we expect to see this year from a Jason Garrett offense? Because as we've talked about already, I think, last week, is that there is a good amount of talent on the Giants offense. So what do we want to see? I think it's, uh, I've read a couple good pieces recently uh, from a Cowboys blog called Blogging the Boys, um, just generally kind of about what uh, the roots of Garrett's offensive philosophy, and he comes from the Air Coriel School of Football, which, uh, you know, not to get too much into history, it has its origins within the Chargers, uh, Dan Coriel was a coach, Dan Fouts uh, was the quarterback when Kelton Winslow was the tight end there. Brief side note, Dan Fouts was calling the Ohio uh, State-Miami national title game in 2002, which Kellen Winslow Jr. was playing in for Miami. The bias was obvious. Uh, Ohio State (laughs) overcame the odds and won the game no thanks to Dan Fouts. But that's really neither here nor there. Um, um, So what is the the general thinking behind the Coriel offense? Uh, It's basically... You want deep threats down the field that are going to try to keep the safeties and the corners back. So, you know, ideally, and oftentimes when you get into the schematics of football, you're really just talking basic math. You want to occupy four people. That's the two corners and the two safeties with two deep threat receivers. Um, And then once you pop the top off the defense, you're opening all kinds of things up underneath. Because at that point, the linebackers have to make a choice, right? They can play further back just like the safeties to keep the passing windows small deep down the field, which opens up easy inside runs for the offense. Or the linebackers can hold their position. They could be aggressive at the line, and that opens up really big windows deep down the field, not just for the guys who are running deep, but for the more intermediate routes. So again, looking back on the Cowboys, think this is where Jason Witten's whole career comes into play, is um, him getting those underneath routes when you have the likes of Des Bryant, Miles Austin going deep and taking the top off of the defense. And it's also important to remember, too, like Des Bryant wasn't just a decoy. If he's there, if they're not playing back, then, you know, Garrett encourages these shots to be taken down the field. So I think that's overall, that's the basic philosophy under which he operates. You know, the other thing is, is use of 11 personnel, which the Cowboys did use quite a bit of, and so did the Giants, is you get a tight end out there, but with that third receiver makes the defense adjust their personnel. And now they don't have a run-heavy personnel in there, but if you still have a tight end, that also makes it easier to run the ball. So, um, how does that translate into the Giants? 
Well, I think it's good for Jones because I think one of the things is is it it's supposed to emphasize quick decision making. Like you're supposed to trust the read and throw the ball to a spot, not to a guy. So it's going to kind of make things a little faster for Daniel Jones where, you know, he makes the read and he's supposed to get rid of the ball, which again, that was kind of a Tony Romo deal. Um, Dax obviously had quite a bit of success with it. And I think it could be helpful to Daniel Jones because it could help with the, uh, the fumbling. I mean, you know, aside from just hold the ball better, uh, the best way to keep him from fumbling is to have him get the ball out of his hands a little bit quicker. I think we've talked before about how uh, he does have this supernatural ability to just stand in the pocket, but that's where he's getting himself into trouble. Yeah, that's true. Right. It's like he's either super brave or something's deeply wrong with him. <laughs> there were some times last year where you wanted to be like, you have to feel that coming a little bit, right? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you know, when you just when you describe the scheme, it definitely it, it doesn't sound like a bad fit with the personnel the Giants have. I, I guess you could quibble with, do they really have the deep threats? I know they're probably hoping Slayton's one of those guys. And then, you know, Tate's can, can do that probably. Um, and then you have, you know, Saquon playing like a, you know, Ladanian Tomlinson type role. Um, and Evan Engram obviously as the tight end. So, you know, I definitely, um, as far as that idea, like that approach, um, you know, I think the Giants gen- in their history have always liked more of a deep passing game. Yeah. Um, they've always kind of historically wanted to take shots, and that was the philosophy the early Coughlin years, and they sort of got away from it um, with McAdoo and Shermer. Um, so I don't have any issues necessarily with, you know, I don't know enough about the scheme that Jason Garrett runs or what his philosophies are to really evaluate it other than to just say, like, you know, he's not bringing some unimpeachable resume of offensive success that makes me overlook the other concerns that I have with Jason Garrett, you know, if, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does make sense. Although, you know, I also kind of dove into uh, into Garrett's numbers on pro football reference. And, you know, again, I think there's a few interesting things that we can learn from it is that. So he was the play caller in Dallas for six years, um, three and a half years as just the offensive coordinator and two and a half years as the head coach and the play caller. And then after that, he had to give up play calling duties. But in his six seasons as as the primary play caller for Dallas, four of those six years, they were in the top 10 in total yards um, and twice they were in the top five. Now, the inconsistency comes with points. So, uh, you know, his weirdest years were in 2009, the Cowboys were second in yards, but 14th in points scored. And then in 2012, which was his last year as a play caller, they were sixth overall. They were the sixth ranked team in the NFL in yards and 15th in points. So that's a pretty big gap between uh, yards and points. And, uh, you know, going back and reading a little bit about it, I think a lot of the uh, frustration with Garrett in Dallas while I was calling plays was, his ability in the red zone, which I think makes sense given the sort of fundamental philosophy that he's coming from offensively. If your offense is built around deep, deep threats that are taking the top off the defense, you kind of losing that once you get down into the red zone, because there just isn't enough space anymore for deep threats to matter. And then in the red zone, you have to get a little bit more creative. And I think creativity is really the area where, uh, you know, fans of Jason Garrett coach teams have found themselves most frustrated. Yeah. You know, I was looking at like uh, the Dallas offense on football outsiders and just, you know, their offensive, you know, DVOA or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it's, I mean, same thing. They're just all over the map, you know, in his tenure, there's years, they're top three yeah. and then they'll be 25 randomly. And, and it doesn't seem to totally coincide with the level of the talent that they had. Yeah. They had pretty good offensive talent that whole way through. So it's hard to even figure out. Yeah. Um, what and, you know there's they they cycled through some different play callers and they um you know i think bill callahan called plays and then i think scott linehan and then uh kellen moore in recent years um so they you know they were they it's it's hard to totally evaluate them um in his tenure there other than to just say it just did always feel like that team 
you know, you can't tell me there's no team where you're like, boy, Jason Garrett did a masterful job with that team. Right. Um, you just felt they were not getting the most out of that roster ever. Um, while he was down there. I, I totally agree with you. I mean, again, the one thing I will say is that once he gave up play calling duties, the numbers were a little closer together in terms of yards and scoring, but year to year, they were wildly inconsistent. Like I think Garrett, when, you know, it's easy to, to give a, a pretty succinct description of Garrett as the play caller, right? Uh, racked up a ton of yards, had difficulty getting into the end zone. I think that's pretty consistently across the board. That's how he performed as a play caller. Once he stopped calling plays, all right, they, the Cowboys were seventh in total yards, fifth in scoring. So that's pretty close. And it seems like, oh, they're doing much better without him. But then the following year, they're 22nd in yards, 31st in scoring. Then the year after that, they're fifth in both categories. And the year after that, they're 14th in both categories. Then 22nd. So I will say that his play calling, although it did not accomplish the main goal of touchdowns, you at least kind of knew what you were getting. Once he wasn't right. the play caller anymore, Dallas was just, every year was almost trick or treat with the offense. Right. I don't think that's good or bad. I think it just is. But. Right, right. I mean, it's not good. That's, I know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It would be nice if they were scoring. I don't know. You know, he had some great offenses down there. Yeah. He had some great talent. Um, maybe maybe it won't be a total disaster. Well, again, I just think... That's going to put that on the bumper sticker. Maybe he's in a different environment. You know, like, he worked for Wade Phillips while he was calling plays. You know, I don't know. Maybe Judge is a good fit. And I don't think that's by design. I think it's the Maras wanted Garrett, and they knew that New York would freak out if it was Garrett. So they found the best thing that they could to get him in the building, but be okay. And I hate that strategy. I hate that blueprint, that way of thinking. I think that's terrible. But I could also see it ending up fine. Yeah. You know, when Coughlin, they used to always make t-shirts with slogans on them. Um, every year was like something, I think a t-shirt that said, maybe this won't be a total disaster. <laughs> would be the perfect shirt for the 2020 giants. Yeah. Well, look, maybe, maybe when our podcast takes off, we can, we'll, we'll make those t-shirts. It'll be our we'll merch. Make those t-shirts. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. There you go. Maybe this won't be a total disaster. The motto of every day of my life. I think that's what I think to myself every day that my eyes open. Yeah. Right. Well, maybe this won't be a total disaster. <laughs> right, but only maybe at best. Maybe. Only maybe. Oh man, you never know. Yeah, and then I reevaluate when I'm shutting those eyes. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> well, uh, that's probably enough on 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 uh, on our friend Jason Garrett. Yeah, and his red hair. Oh, and uh, I can't look at the pictures of him that they're that they're putting out. I can't look at them. It's going to be so weird. It's going to be so weird the first game to see him with his headset on. You think he'll be on the field or in the booth? I was just about to ask you the same thing. I mean, he's got to be in the booth. I can't look at him just clapping. Right. I can't. Yeah, yeah. And chewing and clapping and clapping and chewing. I can't look at that. Right. He'll probably be in the booth, I would think. He'll be upstairs. Let's just. Send him upstairs, Judge. (laughs) Joe. Do yourself and everybody else a favor. Let's send him up there. <laughs> so we mostly don't have to look at his red-headed face. His silly face. Yeah. So many things. I just, you know, most of my sports analysis really comes down to people's faces and how I feel about them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's a sound uh, strategy. And, you know, I don't like his face. And judges feel about it. In my early returns, I don't love it. But right. the evaluation change. Right. You know, I actually used to not think of myself as having um, a punchable face, but then somebody did tell me that I did, and I was all right, maybe. I guess I could, uh, yeah. When I was writing for the Knicks blog back in the day, some guy tweeted at me that I would like to read your articles, but I can't get past the feeling of how much I want to punch your face. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Yeah, unsolicited. Yeah. And I was like, I never considered myself as having one of those kind of faces. But then I looked at the picture. I was like, okay, I guess I, maybe I do. No. I, I don't see you as having a punchable face. No. No. I and mean, I well, once I tried to punch that. you in the face, actually. <laughs> but I still, you know, I, you know, so I come from that experience. I don't really, nope. you know. So it wasn't the face. No. 
<laughs> was it the face? <laughs> uh, so, moving to the other side of the ball, uh, we signed Logan Ryan this week. Right. To replace Xavier McKinney, who is... Uh, now, here's the thing. He's to replace Xavier McKinney. We still could get him back. Right. Um, after Thanksgiving. Yeah, I mean, I think it's like, just like, just a good move, you know? It's just like, oh, good. We needed a good player, um, and he's good. <laughs> right. I mean, he's well, a guy we should have gotten anyway. Yeah, right. He should have been on – we should have signed him three weeks ago so that we're not bringing him in like a week before the first game. I don't really understand how that all works out or why, um, but – you're right. Like, he, why wasn't he? Why? Why did he sign like yesterday? Um, yeah, I, I think it's because now that we're so close to the season, his price came down, and I think that the right. Giants didn't want to pay him what he was asking for. But I mean, you know, I think he he wanted ten million. He got seven and a half, and I know these contracts get structured in a way that those. But ten million wouldn't have been the real number either. So seven and a half is not the real number. Real number is close to the six and a half. Uh, ten wouldn't have been the real number. And that brings me to, I, I just don't understand. Do you get the sense the Giants are being extremely cap conscious, even though I keep also hearing about how much cap space we have? Yeah, well, you're right. And especially that one is particularly weird because it's it really isn't even a, he's, it's a one-year deal. Right. It's not even a cap issue. I mean, yeah. I guess you're trying to keep a little flexibility if you want to add people during the year. But, um, like, $10 million down to $7.5 million, sort of feels like yeah. there was some principle involved. Right. And you know, you would have you would have had him longer. So you would have paid him, you know, I realize I'm not saying he's he's not worth an extra two and a half million for an extra month, but maybe a million is worth an extra month so if he's gonna get off to a better start. You know what I mean? He's you're now right. he's actually like it's just funny when you hire when you sign these guys right before the season start and then he's a super important player for this team. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like this isn't just some roster depth we started. This guy's gonna start. <laughs> right. Absolutely. And he's gonna start <laughs> in the secondary where, you know, continuity and uh you know, everybody being on the same page is very important. Like there's very much a vibe between members of the secondary where they all have to be on the same page and he's missed, you know, valuable weeks with these guys. I know he's a veteran, but most of the rest of the guys he's playing with are not. Yeah. I mean it gets back to what we were talking about earlier about like there being a thing as the Giants way that can get frustrating sometimes where you feel like the Giants are conservative in these areas just for the sake of it. Right. Like just because we are and that's the way that we do business is we're not gonna make a splash and overpay for Logan Ryan. We're gonna make sure that which it's always good to be value conscious, but you know, not for the sake of it. Yeah. Well, and I, I don't understand because I do feel like I'm reading a little bit about how the Giants, again, going into this offseason, it seemed like we had a ton of cap space, or that's how it felt. But it also feels like the Giants are being super cap conscious. And one thing I feel like I read over and over again is that they're worried about next year they're going to have to extend Saquon. The year after that, if all works out, they're going to have to extend uh, Jones and maybe Dexter Lawrence also. And so they're they're thinking ahead. And I look, I have no problem with long-term thinking, but I, I, I mean, is – are we going to give Saquon an extension that's so prohibitive that we can't sign like a decent mid-level player in our secondary? Like it that seems like a flawed strategy. Right. And also isn't the whole idea of having a rookie quarterback who's good and Saquon on their rookie deals to like load up on short-term expensive veterans so that we can win the Super Bowl. Yeah. Um, rather than save for when we have to pay those guys. Right. And, lousy and until then. <laughs> now I, I can't tell if i'm right or wrong either because i i tweeted at dan duggan who's the giants beat writer for the athletic to kind of ask him why the giants are being so cap conscious and he asked like who didn't we sign and i i said you know we originally wanted to sign byron jones as a corner he went to miami for more money and that's how we ended up with bradbury uh we waited this long to sign logan ryan when we clearly had the money all along to sign him anyway and uh like we're not even in the mix on Jadavian Clowney, who's just still out there. And it's not like we have some plethora of pass rushers. Like, I think Clowney would be a pretty nice addition. So I, I don't really get it. Right. I know, that one is weird. And that, again, that's just like a guy... Like, 
that's just another move that we just won't make, you know, yeah. like J- Jadavian Clowney. We just don't do that. Yeah. And, and again, it's like philosophical. Um, he's going to cost a lot of money and he's a big name free agent and we're just against it. But um, and look, throwing big money at free agents is definitely not the path to success. But they are you're, the, the way the league is set up now, when you have these rookie court, these young quarterbacks, if they're good on these really light contracts, like that's the time to do stuff like that. So, um, so then should we be reading into that, that despite what the Giants say, they're still not totally sold on Jones? Well, they don't have any choice but to be sold on Jones. You know, I mean, yeah. <laughs> they certainly can't. They have no alternative. They can't be thinking about a Jonesless future. Um, yeah. You know, I mean, I, no, I, either yeah. he's good or, or no, they're screwed. You're right. And I, I guess I suppose credit to Gettleman. Right, because the thing is, if Jones doesn't work out, he's gone anyway. Like, if we're just right. god-awful this year, Gettleman's got to be gone. So you, I right. guess it would be easy for him to just be like, well, we got to win this year or I'm out of here. So, yeah, who cares about the cap in the future? Give me Clowney. Right. Give me, you know, so I guess it should be a good sign that he's showing some discipline there. Um, right. It's just weird to me that I keep reading it's because they're worried about Saquon's extension. And that report, interestingly enough, uh, the most recent th- uh, place where I read it was on uh, NJ.com. Daryl Slater wrote the article. And when I was trying to find it again to send it to somebody, I uh, I realized that I had blocked Daryl Slater on Twitter uh, because he was the first person I read uh, back, I think, way back in like October, November, that Jason Garrett was eyeing uh, the Giants head coaching job. And I was so angry by that news that I blocked him on Twitter. It's not even he said anything to me. I found that to be offensive content. And, and yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. You know, though, I think like you're so it's such with uh, that beat writer responding to you, like who didn't they sign? And the answer is Clowney. And it, it's it is this thing where that's just not a Giants move, so they don't even get criticized for not doing it because right. it's just not a move they're going to make. In the same way that the Giants didn't, you know, could have drafted Lamar Jackson yep. a couple years ago and didn't, and they don't take any heat for it because it's just. They weren't going to do it. Right. And, and 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 getting back to sort of their reputation that because they have this history, they have one, you know, they're in the top, you know, whatever, five or six franchises who've won the amount of Super Bowls they have. There's this credibility there that is a little overblown. And so the Giants don't take total heat for moves they do or don't make because, oh, the Giants have a nice history of they are a good franchise. And right. They have been successful. And it's just a little overblown. They've made a lot of bizarre, bad, dumb moves. They've had some really down periods. They've made a million weird and terrible decisions. And um, they are risk-averse in a way that is irritating. And, you know... I agree with you. I, I really, there should be more pressure on the Giants to actually be aggressive. And you know, football isn't like basketball where there's this huge risk on every big signing because you can't get stuck in this cap hell, and there's only like two players that matter. Football's not like that. You have a rookie quarterback who's good. You should be trying. There's not. This isn't a slow rebuild. You got to start yeah. adding pieces. And yeah, I mean, I, I don't totally get it. Right, and how could how could we already be worried about Saquon's extension? The Chiefs just gave Patrick Mahomes five hundred million dollars. Right, right. Like, and again, right, I, didn't lose I get that's the right. I get that's not the real number, but like that's the point. Like these numbers are all yeah, yeah, all made up. Like right, you know, sign Clowney for right. a kajillion zillion dollars, but only like ten of it are guaranteed. So like, who cares? Right. And how much are you really going to give Saquon? I mean, he is a running back, and it's unfortunate for him, but you're not giving him $20 million a year. Right. You're going to give him something, you know, what, you know, Christian McCaffrey just got paid. Yeah. Which was a lot, but it's not, like, franchise crippling. Right. Yeah. The Panthers were still in good enough shape where they attracted the hot candidate, Matt Rule, and, uh, you know, I mean, right. I don't get it. I don't get it. I think it's just, like you said, it's cover so that they don't have to – be accountable for like why isn't Clowney being signed why is he just sitting out there we have no pass rushers right we could really use a player just like that yeah, exactly <laughs> right 
if you ask me what they really missing, it's like a difference maker like that. Somebody who's really, and I know, you know, he didn't have, you know, the sack numbers aren't there or whatever. Like, you know, he's a force and we need someone exactly like that who could make a big difference. Yeah. You and would think it's all, just money in the way. You would think all the people who would say sacks don't matter when it comes to Leonard Williams would, would tell you why, why, right. do, why do they not matter for Leonard Williams, but they matter for Jadavion yeah. Clowney. I don't get it. Right, right. I don't get it. I don't get why there's. It just doesn't even come up as a question. Like yeah. it's just like, no, we're not doing that. Why would we do that? Right. Because. Because <laughs> he's awesome. Because he's good, and we suck, and right. we need him. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> and maybe he will help us be good. Right. And that's sort of the point of this whole thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know we had thought about maybe getting some other stuff, but maybe we wrap we wrap there. Um, yeah. Uh, I think that was uh, we got into the real nitty gritty of the G men. Um, so they're playing tonight. It'll be on television. It'll be on television tomorrow. Did you watch the last one? I did. I, I found it mostly worthless. Like, yeah, there's no value uh, in watching it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was like touch football. And it's just practice. Um, and not only that, they don't even show you what's happening. Like, you're on a close-up yeah. on, on the quarterback until whoever is supposed to get the ball has the ball. And then they cut to the wide view. Because they don't want to show anything. Right. But so we don't see anything. It's just... Yeah, yeah. No, I gleaned zero from it. Yeah. <laughs> right. So they're playing it tonight, and it's going to be on TV tomorrow. Uh, but again, I don't, I don't have a lot of hope that it's going to be all that telling. I, I, we're pretty much, basically, we're, we're in a waiting game. Also, I didn't even realize it. I mean, I knew it sort of, but I didn't really. It didn't click with me until like yesterday that we play the Steelers on Monday night. So the whole first Sunday of football, we got no Giants game. Oh man! Yeah, I didn't even realize that. Yeah, I I just realized that. Yes, that's brutal. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah, nothing worse than being shut out the first Sunday. It's like, oh, I know. <laughs> uh, it's Giants Steelers. Like, come on. Right, come on. One o'clock. Yeah. So I don't know. So yeah, our wait is a day longer than most other people. But we're probably not going to see anything until then. Alrighty. Well, we're getting close. And uh, we will, uh, we're going to keep at it until they're, they're playing the games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, everybody. Uh, thanks for checking in. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll probably have some uh, programming news for you uh, next week that we're both pretty excited about. Uh, so uh, there's your cliffhanger. Make sure you tune in. <laughs> All right. All right. See ya.